0: I think theology's for the clergy. I just believe in Jesus. Certain hermeneutics of eschatology demand
1: an exegetical approach.
2: I think you shouldn't question what you were taught in
0: church. Isn't that blasphemy or something? I know.
2: All right, welcome to the broadcast, folks. This is uh, Theology Unplugged. Michael Patton, Tim, Sam, Hello. Sam Storms, Tim Kimberly. That's us. Good to have you guys. Good to be here. Uh, coming to you from the Credo House, as usual, here in the studio. We have oh, our our Luther Latte machine is on the fritz.
1: Well, it, no, it's not on the fritz. It is dead. dead. <laughs> but uh, so are
2: we going to be less unplugged?
1: Uh, maybe because we do have some some alternative sources of caffeine, but uh, we are hoping for a latte machine resurrection at about noon today.
2: Well, if I fall asleep during this broadcast, you know why? Kay? That's right. If we don't feel as lively coffee makes us uh, not only more awake, but makes us smarter and more spiritual.
1: Well, I love the saying, with coffee, you just do stupid things faster and with more energy.
2: <laughs> well, well, Greg Kogel says he's an atheist uh, every morning until he has his first, first cup of coffee. Yeah, <laughs> not sure about the theology behind that. But, and uh, Sam's
1: just shaking his head because he doesn't defile himself with such uh, lesser things <laughs> as, as he drinks a Diet Coke, which will kill him by, by next year. Probably. Hey,
2: listen, listen, everybody. Just quick announcement. Don't want to get into too many things, but Tim, we do have soon coming out our right. our uh, discipleship program. Major launch.
1: Major launch. I think
2: biggest thing we've done in our ministry since the theology program. That's right. And this is uh, going to be coming out. What's the date? Well, proposed May, date May two thousand
1: eleven. May sure. two thousand eleven. The, yeah.
2: the discipleship program. That's ten sessions. Yes. This is designed. Completely for new believers.
1: It it is. It's geared towards new believers, but with the idea that we know someone who has been a believer for 20 years. We had people during the taping that had been believers for 20 years that were blown away by the content as well. Well, sometimes,
2: you know, we just haven't been discipled yet. That's right. That's that's one of the major problems within the church is – you know, what do you do now that you're a Christian? And we're trying to do something here that's saying, now that you're a Christian, make sure you go through these things. Five things that you're to know, five things that you're to do as a Christian.
1: Ten sessions, 45 minutes per session, and we aren't so naive to think that you will be a fully devoted follower of Christ, a, a mature disciple at the end of these ten weeks, but what we say in the program is that it will set you on a path, on a trajectory of discipleship, of living a life as a disciple of Christ. All right,
2: well, we're going to have the DVDs, the workbook, the, the um, iPhone app, iPad app. Book. And the book. That's right. All coming out. Yeah. Is that all going to come out in the same month?
1: For sure, the book, the workbook, and the DVD will come out in May. Uh, w- hopefully we can get the app through the, the iTunes store in May as well, but it could be June.
2: All right, good. Well, that's what to look forward to—the yep. uh, discipleship program, not a discipleship. But this is the discipleship. This program. is it. Like,
1: yeah, I mean, we've been talking w- that uh, we wish we could go back in time and you know give the discipleship program to men like Athanasius and stuff because it's so it's so revolutionary, so, and we're so humble about it as well. Maybe he would have had a little more courage if he had had your discipleship program
0: such a coward the face of heresy, discipleship (laughs)
2: contramundum
1: Um,
2: Calvinism that's what we're talking about today and we're we're getting close to the end of our series guys Um,
1: speaking of discipleship (laughs) uh, discipleship. Calvin would be a man to look at because he has really discipled the church for the last 500 years we're
2: talking about the doctrine of Calvinism we're talking about an invitation to Calvinism we're talking about the doctrines of grace um, one of the things that I was thinking again this morning that I thought I'd reiterate for our audience is that we're not we're not sitting here trying to you, you see us b- trying to be very biblical with this. I hope mm-hmm. I hope you see us as as turning to the scriptures over and over again. We're not turning to Calvin over and over again, right, Sam? That's right. I mean, it, 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 we do call it Calvinism, but please be careful. We're not trying to say we are of Calvin, you know, and That's some right. people are of um, uh, Arminius and others are of Peter and others are of, you know, that, that, that whole thing. And I understand where people can come from whenever you have a, uh, a way of thinking that, that has a name of a man. We understand he's just a man. Calvin was not inspired. We don't agree with everything Calvin says, right? That's correct. And whenever we talk about this, we're talking about a system of biblical thought that we believe accurately represents what the Bible teaches. That, that's simply it. It's called Calvinism. You don't have to call yourself a Calvinist. And that's so right. if you accept the invitation to Calvinism, we're not saying accept the invitation to be called a Calvinist necessarily.
1: That's right, and you know, even in Calvin's Institutes, in the in the beginning of it, he he even makes a point because people are saying, "Well, who are you to bring up this new thing or to to you know start this new thing that we should all follow? Shouldn't we just follow God and follow His Word?" And so, even in the Institutes, five hundred years ago, in the beginning, he's saying, "This is not new. What I'm just communicating is Scripture, and because I'm writing it, uh, fifteen hundred years after Scripture, after the Bible is is complete." doesn't mean, you know, if you're writing about an everlasting God as he reveals himself in Scripture, if you're writing about that, even if we write it today, as much as it reflects what God re- has revealed to us, it's not new. You're just clarif- you're just basically communicating what he has communicated to mm-hmm. us. And so, I see you,
2: you pulled out your institutes on your iPad for that, didn't you? I
1: did. Well, I mean, I was seeking to actually quote him, but I realized that uh, I just couldn't find it fast enough. So I have it somewhere in here, uh, but the problem <laughs> is, is I've highlighted too many sections to just 0.21 highlighted section. Sam, where's so, your iPad?
0: Uh, <laughs> I have no answer for that question. You're speaking to the technologically challenged here. Yeah,
1: he has a, a pad of paper, and That's it's right. his, so I guess in this sense it's his pad. Oh, well, my <laughs> iPad has been commandeered by my wife. and um, Which was first commandeered by your daughter, right? Yeah, it's commandeered
2: by everybody.
1: Now is that because they're trying to take it away from you because they don't want you to use it, or oh, that, yeah, they, that no, they're yeah, just they're using
2: it? They're using it. Cool. I'm not trying to promote iPad here. Yeah. A link on the page for uh, uh, iPad. Yeah. Um, okay, we're, we're we're at the last. We're, we, we've talked about many things so far, and we're talking about perseverance of the saints. Last time we talked about uh, this this. Um, you know, This essential part of Calvinism, and we said that this is the one part of Calvinism or the doctrines of grace that many people, even Arminians, will sometimes adopt. You know, one-point
0: Calvinists. Whiskey Calvinists. They only take a fifth. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Did you say that last time? Yeah, I did. I I, I think you said it four or five times, actually.
2: Um, Okay, we're talking about whiskey Calvinists. Uh, No, we're talking about the doctrine of perseverance of the saints, which briefly defines. somebody help me.
0: Perseverance of the saints. It means that, and let's use it as an opportunity to kind of run back through the the, uh, tulip, Uh, those whom God has unconditionally elected, that is to say those whom the Father has given to the Son for whom the Son has died as a substitutionary sacrifice, whom the the Spirit has drawn to faith in Christ by means of irresistible or efficacious grace, those are the ones who will persevere or endure uh, through to the end of life in such a way that they will uh, most assuredly be finally and fully saved. So it is... uh, And again, we've talked about the question of whether we should call this perseverance of the saints or preservation by the Savior. And it's really both. We persevere in our faith to which we have been irresistibly called because God is committed to preserving us uh, as his children. That's what Jesus meant when he said in John 6 that all that the Father has given to me shall come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast him out but raise him up on the last day. So Perseverance of the Saints is the doctrine which asserts not that Christians can't backslide or can't commit grievous and heinous sin, because we know they can. Uh, It's not to suggest that Christians don't struggle with their faith or fall into seasons of doubt or depression. It's simply the affirmation that notwithstanding all of those struggles and those setbacks, God the Father will, through the power of the Holy Spirit, preserve us in the faith we have in Jesus, until life's end mm. Okay, very good, nice
1: Yeah, that'll preach
0: um, n- n- Now we're going to have some tensions
2: That we have to address Definitely. Uh, the, the first tension we addressed a little bit Last time, and the second tension We're going to address here I think for the majority of the broadcast First tension, of course, is this Whenever we're talking about perseverance of our faith um, we're, we're talking about uh, from From God's perspective He's going to keep us From our perspective, many times, and this is what our listeners are thinking, many Mm -hmm. of our listeners at least, they're saying, "Uh, how do I know you know, that I'm going to be one of the ones who do persevere? I I get that all the time. I'm sure both of you have come in contact with that, and we've got the idea that, okay, uh, I'm grabbing hold of this election thing. I'm seeing it in scripture. I'm, I'm seeing the whole tulip thing play out, but in the end... Now I'm a little bit nervous because I'm not sure if I'm among the elect.
1: Or, yeah, that and I think the two is that response, and then the second response is, what about this person that I know that I could have swore and I really believe is a believer and seems to not be anymore?
2: Well, dealing with the first, we I know we dealt with it just a little bit last time. Let me yeah. touch on it again. Yeah. Dealing with the first, what if we say – um how, how do you know whether you're among the elect? How can you be sure that you're going to persevere until the end? Don't we have the biblical concept that God does want us to be assured of our security? Isn't this what this is all about?
0: Yes. I, God does want us to experience the joy of assurance. But it's important for people to know that being assured of your salvation is not itself a condition of perseverance. In mm-hmm. other words... Uh, simply because somebody lives in anxiety or doubt or for whatever reason they may struggle with the question of assurance does not mean that they're not saved. There are a lot of people who are assured that they are saved who aren't. And there are a good number of people who are not assured that they're saved, but they are. So, um, yes, God does want us to experience the joy and the peace and uh, the the confidence that uh, that we belong to
1: Christ. Uh,
0: so I, I went off on a rant there. What was your question? <laughs> well,
1: well, when Actually, talking- your rant, I think, brought up more questions. Okay. <laughs>
0: well, if
2: if it is that uh, we are to be assured of our salvation, if we are to um, uh, know that yes. we are children of God, mm-hmm. in that context, when talking about this doctrine of election, here's what gets brought up, at least among a lot of people that I encounter. I was just reading a, a biography of Charles uh, Charles Darwin recently, and, and most of the good biographies out there, I think, will put him in, the, in a very spiritual light at the beginning of his journey mm-hmm. uh, to where he was a, a – at least believed he was a believer. He even talks about uh, this, this one instance where he is on the Beagle ship, and he's, he's talking to other guys that are on there, and he's defending the faith. And he's defending the faith in a very atypical way, which we would think we would defend the faith as well, mm-hmm. a- and seems to have faith seems to have uh, the confession right, but yeah. then goes through a time of struggle, doubt to the point where, in the end, you know he lost his faith completely and admits he lost his faith completely. You bring up him, you bring up Charles Templeton, both iconic figures of people who who started the Christian journey, had the right confessions, and maybe i, I mean he, here's where i'm thinking is maybe that they really did believe they were saved, like you and I. You know, and and maybe could have listened to a broadcast such as this and said, you know, how do, how do I know that I'm really saved? You know, and we we may answer and say, well, if you believe, you know, if you if you're believing right now, then you're really saved. But here's the here's the problem is is that with people with him, Bart Ehrman. I mean, on and on we can go with many examples of those who have have made the confession, tasted maybe. You know, to use some biblical language, of the, the gifts to come, but yet fell away from the faith. What do we do with those type of people?
1: And people who I think it's important to add, too, who, I mean, not in the case of, of some, but in the case of Dharma, Darwin, die in that state. You know, So we can't say, well, on their deathbed they came back to Christ or something that we could say for all observable ways that's how their life ended as well.
2: Well, the point is, is it just doesn't seem like they persevered. Yeah. I mean we, we can bring up this doctrine, but here's what people are seeing. We're reading this out there. This is some of the major atheists out there that are quote-unquote former evangelicals, former apologists, former fundamentalists who have left the faith and now putting this in this context in real life people's experience of these things and and seeing people like this they're trying to put it together and say how do you, how do you square that with the doctrine of perseverance because they don't seem to have persevered
1: well you know and on top of that then two like uh, several verses but hebrews 3:12 says take care brothers so not just take care of people, but take care of brothers. So this would appear to be people in the faith. Take care brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. You know, Which it would appear that these people have had. Uh, and then 13 says, "...but exhort one another uh, every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin." And so it would appear that people would be hardened and that people would fall away from the living God. And so, um, you know, and calling them brothers is would bring up, you know, well, it appears that Hebrews is telling us that some can fall away. But then Romans and John and other places are saying that everyone that's given will, will always be led all the way. And so, you know, it's how, how do we interpret these things in light of what perseverance of the saints seems to be a very biblical concept. Sam, last
2: time you talked about this as being something that is difficult from a biblical standpoint, uh, like limited atonement. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, and before I do that, I I just want to continue reading in the passage, Tim, you read from... in Hebrews 3. Thanks for uh, calling you
1: out. That's
2: a nice way of saying you just took something out of context. Yeah, that's that's, a, that's <laughs> a really
1: nice way of saying, let me repair how you have just <laughs> ripped it out of context, splashed it on the wall, and now no, I'll come in. No, you just didn't read the full <laughs> uh,
0: context. Not that you ripped anything.
1: Well, and what I'm saying, though, too, is that, I mean, that is, many people will take that sure. verse and will say, this is the verse. Now, what are you going to do with it?
0: Uh, um, here's what I'm going to do with it I'm going to read the verses that follow. You're right, he does issue a warning. Take care, brothers, uh, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. And then he says, here's one of the ways in which we help to preserve one another. Here's one of the means or the instruments that God uses. It's our mutual accountability, mutual exhortation. So he says, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And then we come to verse 14. For we have come to share in Christ, past tense, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So I think the author is saying, again, in answer to our question, how do we know if, in fact, um, I have an unbelieving heart or a believing heart? And how do I know if, in fact, I have come to share in Christ? And the answer is, if indeed you hold to that confidence firm to the end. So perseverance is in fact the proof of the authenticity and the genuineness of the faith that we profess, which now comes back to the question that we're facing here. Uh, And let me just say this. uh, This doctrine, this concept of perseverance or eternal security or however you want to define it or however you want to label it, we will admit, I will admit right up front, this is one of the most difficult issues That we have to address. And it is difficult for two reasons that we've already brought, mentioned. Number one, there are some problem passages. Let's not deny it. If Mm -hmm. there are some texts that when you first read them appear to be suggesting that someone who is genuinely born again, justified by faith, adopted into the family of God can fully and finally apostatize and be cast off. There are some texts that seem to suggest that. I don't think that's what they're saying, Mm -hmm. but I can understand why people would look at them and be concerned about what we're talking about. And then secondly, as you mentioned, Tim, we have experience. Mm -hmm. All of us, I would assume virtually everybody, knows someone that professed faith in Christ, seemed to be zealous and joyful, committed, walking with the Lord, and then through whatever circumstance or situation begin to doubt, begin to fade, as it were, and eventually simply walk away from the faith altogether and openly repudiate what they earlier mm. confessed mm-hmm. concerning Christ. How do we account for those people? Um, and there are a couple of ways that we can. One is by recognizing what the Bible does talk about often, especially in John's Gospel, that we can delude ourselves. There is a kind of a false faith. There is this, uh, and it's also bound up in the parable of the soils in, in, in uh, Matthew and Mark's gospel, mm-hmm. uh, where people can um, intellectually grasp the, the nature of the gospel. They can find some measure of comfort in it. Uh, they can uh, sense that perhaps indeed this Jesus is who he claimed to be. There can be a kind of faith that is a delusion where people are, um, are misled and then when the cares of the world, persecution, tribulation, stress, you know, all the things that Jesus talks about in the parable of the soils begin to infringe upon their life, for for whatever reason, they abandon what they had formerly confessed. It's interesting, by the way, when you talk to these people, at least the ones that I've talked to, and I say, well, tell me about the faith that you used to profess. And almost to a person, they will say, Well, I realize now I was just deluded. I've seen through the arguments. I realized that that it was a faith that was ill founded, it was irrational. And so, if you press them and say, Did you really, honestly, from the depths of your heart, treasure and embrace Jesus as Lord of your life and as Savior of your soul? they'll say, Well, in hindsight, probably not. I, I think I was enamored, I was intrigued. I was captivated. I enjoyed the community of the people that I was surrounded with, but on deeper thought, I realize now, as I look back, uh, it it wasn't the kind of faith that it seems like you have in your heart in relationship to Jesus. Mm -hmm. Now, on the other hand, we it may well we all know again people who have had that kind of "quote unquote" faith who then seem to walk away, and yet they then later on come back. Mm-hmm. uh They may come back through the discipline of the Lord. they may uh through a number of other uh, uh, events in their life, be kind of jolted and awakened yet again so it 's simply because somebody in the present moment has openly repudiated Christ does not necessarily mean that they are unregenerate mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and well, and I think that's where these Roman passages or Hebrews passages and others come in as a true warning. You know, I don't think we just push them aside like, well, my my calvinistic framework can't accept these so i'm just going to move on we say no this this is god's word to me these verses are and they're going to warn me to to take care of my faith sure. to, to watch my life and my doctrine closely and then hopefully those who are who are true believers who are away from the lord these will warn them to come back and to to stop living for yourself and to return living for your savior and and, and to really take that warning to heed
2: I think the most infamous passage, you know, is going to be Hebrews chapter 6. Therefore, leaving the elementary teachings about Christ, let us press on towards maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, of instruction about washing and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And and, And we will do this if God permits, for in the case of those who have once been enlightened, And have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted of the good word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away. It is impossible again to renew them to repentance since they crucify to themselves the son of God and put him to open shame. Now that drives absolute fear into so many people. So many of our listeners are saying, that's me. So many of our listeners are saying, I have fallen away. Other ones that are thinking more theologically and trying to th- digest what we've been talking about are saying, you can't get by such a clear passage as that that says that you can fall away from the faith. You can apostatize from the faith,
1: well, let me rebuke you, michael, and and I'll continue reading the passage as well. Is that okay and and Sam, I'm sure that you were neglecting the rest of the passage as well. Um, but uh, so we'll keep reading verse nine, though we speak in this way. Yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope. Until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who, through faith and patience, inherit the promises. And so, and then it goes into a section uh, in my Bible. It has the certainty of God's promise. And so, you know, even in that in Hebrew six in that beginning you know, he he sets this up but then we still see this kind of full circle aspect of the people he's talking to so i would say like yes that's a clear passage but it it then uh the writer of hebrews kind of brings you back into this uh, to almost this perseverance mindset mm-hmm.
2: A lot of the debate, I think, in the Hebrews passages, whenever we're talking about the whole Hebrews context in general, cause a lot of warnings in Hebrews, mm-hmm. I just mm-hmm. read one of, I think, about four very stern warnings about not falling away. That's right. Um, a lot of the debate about these passages has to do with who's he talking to. Right. Yeah. You know, is he talking to believers? Is he talking to unbelievers? Is he... Is he um, giving a legitimate warning? Is yeah. he giving a hypothetical warning? That's right. L- a lot of different. I remember Jay Vernon McGee took the hypothetical approach. You know, mm-hmm. that's if this could happen, this is what would happen, yeah. but it can't happen. And so. the
1: mindset would could be something where I warn my kids: if you run in the street, you're going to get hit by a car and die. Yeah. Don't run into the street. And then you know, hypothetically, they could run in the street and not get hit by a car and well, die. Let but, me ask you
2: yeah. all this. I mean, let's let's take this approach: if people do apostatize from the family, Faith, right? If, yeah. This is true, right? I mean, if yeah. you leave the faith, then you are gonna be under the judgment of God. There's a real sense to that. Am I? Am I wrong? No, I'd agree with that. Mm-hmm. So, whenever he's saying this, we're not trying to approach this and to say. Well, let's try to twist these passages and make them really diluted to the point right. where, I mean, basically you, you neuter them, right? Yeah. Because your theology can't handle them. What we want to do is to be able to uh, – uh, our Calvinism doesn't make us go to these passages and uh, and uh, reinterpret them. That's right. These passages create our theology. The Bible creates our theology. What is created from this?
0: know yeah. the question is whether or not God is committed to upholding and preserving and sustaining our faith in Christ in our hearts uh, but right I mean theoretically speaking, uh, for a person to openly persistently hard-heartedly repudiate Jesus, um, yes, that would constitute apostasy that would but the question. That isn't really the ultimate issue. The ultimate issue is: Does God commit Himself and promise to us that He will sustain and preserve us through faith unto the end? And I think the answer to that is yes, He will. Yeah. Now, getting back to um, to the
2: parable, the parable of the soils. I I, because I think I, I think the parable of the soils really is, as Sam said earlier. The, uh, creates the, the uh, backdrop, creates the foundation, creates everything that we need to know with regards to this issue.
1: And we need to realize uh, parables, Jesus is teaching us a lot of theology. We can't just think, well, he's just telling a story. That's not as theological as when Paul is laying out something. I mean, Jesus is telling us these stories to communicate some some very weighty truths.
2: And, and whenever it comes down to it, with this parable, what we're seeing here is that there are different types of faith. And there are types of faith that don't save. And if we are to be faithful to the biblical text, we want to balance this tension, you know, as I, I come back to this idea of tension, of saying that you and I, we want people to leave here during this broadcast, right? Mm-hmm. We want them, I mean, this is my evangelical upbringing. My, my greatest joy is for you to leave here in the joy of your salvation, Right. Mm-hmm. and and, and I, I want to convince people that they're saved. So if somebody comes into my office for counseling and says, I'm just doubting my salvation, I don't know whether I'm not saved or not, and I just want them to say, yes, you are. You know?
0: You, mm-hmm.
2: I, I know that you are, and I want you to leave here knowing that you are. But in a sense, there's this tension in the Bible, isn't there, that says, you got to test to make sure you have real faith. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes our goal, even as those who believe in eternal security, is not to make people leave assured that they're saved because they may have the type of faith that does not save. I mean, the soils. Mm-hmm, that's true. You got, you got the soils that fall among the shallow,
1: mm-hmm.
2: get uh, eaten or with rocks. The, the, the seeds that fall among the soil in the, in the weeds, and both of those produce, as Sam said earlier, an initial response of some sort. And it says, after a while, they fall away. Now, one of the things in the biblical text that doesn't tell us is we can't go into the Greek. Can't go into anything and try to figure out what after a while, what what the time span for after a while is because I would love to know that.
1: Or we can't peel it away and see a list of names and say, okay, these are the people who after a while, but then these are the people who who do persevere. You know, yeah. there is mystery there. For a- and, sure. And
2: when we talk about people such as Charles Darwin. Mm-hmm. When we talk about people such as Charles Templeton, I don't know their eternal fate. I'm not saying that they died in true unbelief. I don't know. All I can go is from their confession. And all I know is that there are people who do, after a while, fall away. Yeah. And there are people, like John says, that says, that whenever he says, they went out from us because they were not of us. And if they had been of us, they would have stayed with us.
1: And probably all of us in our personal walks with with the Lord as well have experienced. I know when I became a believer in college, I had family members that said, "You know this this will pass. You know your Jesus freakness that'll that'll go away after after a couple of years. You know, don't worry about it. Kind of like I had some disease that I'd be cured of eventually. And so, I mean, I think all of us have had kind of outside pressure that says, uh, "You know, don't worry. You'll kind of become normal after a while." Yeah.
0: And there, again, there are so many reasons why people, quote unquote, believe in Christ or follow Christ that have nothing to do with having been born again and treasuring him as the only hope for their life now and for eternity. There's the euphoria of a religious experience. There is being caught or swept up in um, uh, kind of the the uh, what the masses are drawn to. There is the delight in the community that it, that you find yourself in. Some people come to a church or get involved with a movement because they really find uh, encouragement in the friends that they find there. Uh, Jesus is an intriguing figure from a purely historical and human point of view in the same way that Aristotle or Gandhi might be, and people are drawn to him. Yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus in that sense. I like his ethics. I like his politics. Uh, I like the fact that he's Countercultural, and he got in the face of religious hypocrites. People are drawn to him for a number of reasons. Um, they, they may uh, profess a faith because they're enamored with what they think are the blessings that one gets if they know God. The idea, well, I'll, I'll, I'll have eternal, I won't go to hell, basically. Or um, there might be a certain psychological or emotional tranquility that they experience, Um, There's all sorts of psychological, emotional, sociological group um, reasons that that, that people find quote-unquote becoming a Christian um, appealing, and they're drawn for those reasons, but they're not drawn because they have seen Jesus for who he is and have fallen in love with the reality of Uh, of his beauty, his glory, the fact that he has secured for them eternal life, and the realization that apart from what he has done on the cross for me, I have no hope. That's not what draws them. But they can even say those words. They hear those words. They hang around with other Christians. They listen to messages. And if you even ask them the question, they can parrot back those terms. But that doesn't mean in the depth of their heart that they're cherishing Jesus for eternal life. And
1: I think this, too, is why in our churches and, and everybody hearing this, really why we have to keep the gospel clear and central in our churches and in our interaction with people is that so that people really know that they're not there to get out of debt, they're not there to just have good marriages, they're not there to just be a good co-worker, or any of these moral reasons that you can look at a church and say, I want to go there because I, I need to get my life back on track, but that we are very clear that it's okay to get out of debt and things like that but it's because Christ is now the center of your life you're no longer addicted to things you're addicted in a way to a savior and because of that you you forsake those things that gets you out of debt you know I, I no longer want to be so selfish in my marriage I, I want to be selfless now because I'm now following the selfless one who died for my sins you know and so you're continually making it clear what the gospel is not and what the gospel is and I think that will really help people who 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 are trusting In Christ to really be trusting a Savior, not just be trying to trust symptoms of what they want to uh, basically become.
0: Yeah, I, I don't doubt for a moment that there are people at Bridgeway where I pastor who have professed themselves to be Christians and who are faithful in attending our services. Not again, not because the cross is for them their only hope for forgiveness of sin and eternal life, but rather because, as you said, Tim. Uh, they started attending the Dave Ramsey course that mm-hmm. we offer because they were woefully in debt, and they find some good practical principles that help them. Others may be there because their marriage was falling apart, and there were some uh, there was some good wisdom that was communicated to them by mm-hmm. a counselor. Or they might glean some uh, some truths out of a sermon that I preached on the subject. Or there are others who are there who are struggling to break free of a drug or alcohol addiction. Mm-hmm. And they're finding that the encouragement and the support that's coming from friends there mm-hmm. has helped them. And so those are the things that draw them, quote unquote, to the gospel. But it's not the gospel itself mm-hmm. that has captivated their hearts. Now, I hope that's not the case. But I fear that many times in most of our churches, there are a good number of people who are captivated and swept up in kind of the peripheral practicalities and wisdom and benefits and blessings of what it means to be, quote unquote, a Christian. But in fact, they're not really born again. Yeah,
2: we're um, running out of time here, but, uh, you know, there's there's people out there that are you, you can be an apologist for the faith and really be convinced intellectually that Jesus Christ died and rose from the grave, but yet to have trusted in Christ Mm -hmm. that that there's types of faith that do not save. And that's why it's so important to understand the the development of our faith, you know, intellectually, spiritually in our practice, all of those things come into being. But whenever we're talking, here's what it comes down to with me. When we're talking about any one of these problem passages, whether it be the ones in Hebrews or the one, uh, you know, about, uh, I will not I will not, Blot your name out of the book of life and revelation, any of these, I think you've got to understand that uh, from the perspective of us, whenever we're talking to you right now and you're listening to this, whenever Sam is preaching from the pulpit, whenever the author of Hebrews is, is, is writing to his people and yearning for them, he understands there are three types of soils out there. And that he is preaching to all three, and there are warnings to be given to those that are right now among the rocks. And this is a warning whenever are whenever you're listening to this. And this is the tension: there is a warning out there that you that you make sure your faith is true, that it's based on the right things, that you're that you're believing in Christ, the right Christ, the right God, uh, and, and you're you're yielding to Him. You're not you're not a believer in the sense that you believe some things and you pick and choose. Uh, you're a believer in the sense that you have completely subjected yourself to God, bowed down before his throne and said he's the master. Yeah. And in that in that that is that is the the paradigm of our faith yeah. that, that uh, shifts to we don't we, we preach to the different soils and we even preach to them as believers, right? I mean, they, if you profess to be a believer, we're going to call you a brother. But it doesn't mean all the time that whenever we're preaching or teaching that we're assuming that there aren't people out there with faith that can fall away because there is that type of faith that can fall away. At the same time, at the same time, here's the tension. We want you all out there to leave. I do. Mm. More secure. Those people who truly know Christ, I don't want you to be um, uh, so worried all the time whether you're among the elect. If you truly believe you're among the elect. If you make it through the trials and the difficulties and your faith remains intact, you truly believe.
0: I mean, Mm -hmm. that's kind of what it comes down to, right? Yep. And we need to look at some of the really straight... Granted, there are problem passages like Hebrews 6 and Hebrews 10, but we also need to look at, uh, I think, the multiplicity of texts that really strongly and clearly affirm the perseverance of the saints. Well, maybe we'll pick up on that a little bit next time and then go through
2: some uh, questions that people have. Sounds good. All right, until then, thanks for joining us. You've been listening to Theology Unplugged. Visit our iTunes page by searching Theology Unplugged at the iTunes store. All episodes are available as free downloads. Theology Unplugged is made possible by Reclaiming the Mind Ministries. Reclaiming the Mind Ministries is a listener-supported ministry. If you've enjoyed this session or benefited from it in any way, do consider partnering with us. For information on how to become a ministry partner and for a complete listing of ministry resources, visit the RMM homepage at www.reclaimingthemind.org. Thank you for listening, and God bless.